0: Did you just call what? it a mantle? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> their
1: Their websites, uh, you, you could be a mantelist, um, devoted to making I have been a, a mantelist. <laughs> but I walked in and I was sitting at a table with some, you know, bazooleans whose names you might know. One of them is a county commissioner. And I, we all looked up at the same time. And it was just a wall of the same man in the same suit. And we were just like, it is 2020. Like, that is so <laughs> unacceptable.
0: This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey, folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we bring you a conversation with three amazing women working together on an exciting and important program here at the University of Montana, the Women's Leadership Initiative. WLI's purpose is to accelerate women's careers of impact. It was initiated by former UM President Royce Engstrom in 2015 and was relaunched by President Seth Bodner with generous support of Clearwater Credit Union and private contributions from folks like Denise Grills. In this conversation, we speak with Denise about why she invested in WLI. Denise is joined by UM psychology professor and department chair Chris Fiore a key faculty advisor to the program, as well as one of my favorite Missoulians, Glenda Bradshaw, board member of Clearwater and owner of Clyde Coffee. It was great to learn about this important initiative and how it propels women in our community. So let's get into it right now. Okay, so we're here today with Denise Grills, Glenda Bradshaw, Professor Chris Fiore. Ladies, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: You're welcome. Thanks, Justin. Thank you.
0: So we are here to talk about the Women's Leadership Initiative, something the three of you are... Um, Deeply involved in and deeply committed to. Uh, Denise, let's start with you. That the Women's Leadership Initiative is something that you chose to invest in early on, um, back under President President Engstrom's uh, tenure. Can you talk about why uh, that was something that you wanted to support as a a passionate alum of this institution?
2: Yes. Uh, So, about five years ago, I um, came on to the University of Montana Alumni Association Board. And I think one of our first meetings, um, President Engstrom was speaking about what was going on on campus. He mentioned that he, and with his wife, uh, had started the Women's Leadership Initiative and talked about that. So I pulled him aside later and said, well, that's you know something I'm interested in, um, working with women in leadership. And as these things go, uh, he asked me to get involved with uh, Dina Mansour, who was leading the program, um, and I became a, involved as an advisor and eventually supporting financially the organization.
0: Awesome. So integ- integral in that first year and now back as the, as the mm-hmm. initiative has been relaunched under President Bodnar. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, a big part of it. Glenda. You represent uh, Clearwater in this but also a lot of personal interest as well which we'll get to but you're on the board of Clearwater Credit Union and Clearwater is one of the driving forces behind making this thing happen, right?
1: We are. We had the opportunity uh, this year to come in um, as a financer of the uh, organization, and it's been just a wonderful uh, year to date. I'm looking forward to uh, the next few events, but um, you know we're a values-based bank, and um, we know that we have to be more than just a depositor and a lender. We have to you know, be a force for good in our community. And we feel like by supporting initiatives like the Women's Leadership Initiative, we're really living our mission. And uh, we do also feel like we get so much more from it than we put into it. And it's just been a real honor to attend the events and get to know the women in the cohort.
0: Awesome. And Chris, you're one of the faculty drivers of this this whole thing.
1: Yes.
3: So Dina brought me on for the first one. And we worked together to design and meet what we felt was most important for women and at that point it was just University of Montana women who applied to be as a part of part of the cohort and uh, it lasted only one year mostly you know really needing more I think funding and support for it to really be viable and President Bodner and the Sea Change Initiative made it possible again this year, and of course Denise as well, and we're so happy Denise is back with us.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that first cohort. Some of the women in that first cohort, basically like what was the original conception of the WLI, and let's talk about that cohort, because some of those women are just changing the dynamics on this campus and are such leaders in this community.
3: So, the idea behind the first women's leadership initiative actually came from Dina Mansour and Nikki Fear and their experiences in Southeast Asia as women, and they realized that actually they had problems on campus as women leaders and felt that it was time to do something on campus, and um, Nikki. Became actually part of that first cohort, and now mm-hmm. she's helping us with this continued effort. So, right. Nikki is really involved in making it happen. Um, Kelly Webster was part of that cohort. Absolutely. And now she's chief of staff with President Bodner. And, you know, I could go through every single person, but you are focusing probably on uh, a few pe- people. Every woman, I think, has taken something from that. We did a lot of training, a lot of uh, support, um, skill building. We had power camp. We really focused on what would help women uh, individually and campus-wide succeed. And I think these women are serious about their potential, and they're showing what they can do.
0: Yeah, so uh, power camp. Denise, tell us about that. It sounds like something that's awesome. Like, I want to do it, but I don't know what it is. What is, what is Power Camp?
2: Power Camp is a wonderful off-site seminar that uh, a woman named Chris Melching started many years ago uh, to empower women in the workplace. And she put together a program over, you know, two and a half days that she started and um, doing with Oracle. which was my employer right that we had a chance to do um and a lot of skills a lot of looking at the whole self um a lot of work but you know very beneficial and so that program i brought with chris to colorado where i live Uh, she usually does it in california and then we brought it to flathead lake the first time Um, And brought the cohort out. So a a chance to all come together and get some training and work together. We are doing it. I'm in Missoula right now. We're going to do one this weekend at uh, Seely Lake um, at my family's cabin, my niece's and nephew's cabin. So uh, we will be bringing the cohort and Chris and Nikki out this weekend to to all get together.
0: Super. Chris, have you done Power Camp? Did you do the first Power Camp? I did, and I'm lucky. Can you talk about what happens? (laughs) Is it password protected?
3: (laughs) It's not. not, A lot of it is about addressing women's empowerment. A lot of ways that women live in the world um, interferes, I think, with... Believing in possibility and potential. And a lot of women will step back or take a longer time or not necessarily believe in themselves. And so Power Camp's all about identifying your strengths, working toward realizing those strengths, and uh, committing to making them happen. Yeah,
0: can you talk about any... Is it okay to talk about any specific yeah. like activities? I'm just trying to imagine
3: like uh, what happens the So at I this think there's a... things like difficult conversations. Yeah. Um, what else? How selling yourself mm. um, in terms of, you know, how you present yourself, how you present your ideas.
0: Advocating for your ideas, advocating mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah Cuz that's a lot of, you know, what the but the research shows is a lot of times women are more reticent to advocate for themselves, particularly in corporate situations. Is that consistent with your experience, Denise, at Oracle?
2: It definitely is. And that's that's one thing I, I coach. Um, I think going back to the Sheryl Sunberg lean in, which has been about five or seven years, I just recently went back and looked at it. But it was the idea through research that she showed that women would apply for jobs they knew they had done and I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. men would apply for jobs they think they could do. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe they know they can do because they have confidence. 20
0: years' experience, whatever, I don't have that, <laughs> I'll apply anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. And women, were, well, I've done that for already. Um, and so that's one thing I coach uh, and we will coach. Uh, the other, Another important thing that I've seen, and I really coach women, but now also men, and Power Camp now is co-ed as well, Is that you have to ask. Yeah. And that's really important for people that are successful. That I think if you're the top student and then you're the top graduate student, you go into the company or the hotshot or whatever, at some point you get to a level, you're not going to get tapped on the shoulder anymore. And so I coach to that. Like you have to figure out what you want, let your managers know, do what you're told you need to do, and then come back and say, okay, I did this and go forward. And I I realize in my career that I hurt myself, you know, waiting for someone, you know, to tap me on the shoulder for that next opportunity, because it happened for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's true. And, you know, the ladies can say, I don't know if you think it's as true for women or men, because I am coaching now. Um, In particular, I'll give you an example, like I work for Oracle. At some point, you get to director, you want to go to senior director, VP. You have to push for it. And I have had many people being frustrated, and it didn't happen. And I would say, well, have you done these three things? Right. No, <laughs> we didn't know you had to do that. No one mm-hmm. tells you that. And then you go in and ask for the promotion, right? So it, it's just something true in life that I would, if I had to do overall to do all over again, I would ask more. Sure.
0: Glenda, how does that resonate with your experience, both as an entrepreneur and someone you've worked in large organizations as well?
1: Yeah, I I think it's really um, accurate, and it's something that I've seen not only sort of in myself and something um, I try to be kind of aware of, um, and certainly when I'm working with other women in an organization to make sure that I'm helping them advocate for themselves um, and being an advocate for them. Um, But I think it is very, very, very much true. I think we saw a little kind of 30 second promo or maybe it was a little longer before the last, um, uh, Women's Leadership Initiative event that you spoke at, Justin, it was really interesting to see it from a child's perspective about um, inequality. Um, And, you know, we sort of just have come to grow to expect that maybe we're not going to be paid the same way or get tapped on the shoulder. Um, And as we age, we learn maybe some workarounds. Um, But I thought it was such an important reminder that we don't always start out that way. So um, I would definitely like to do more uh, working on this in the schools, um, if possible. Um, Because at some point, we just sort of, lose that understanding that both men and women are capable similarly and equally because by the time you get to my age, it's pretty entrenched (laughs) that um, it would appear from the makeup of boards and senior leadership and most organizations that women aren't equally capable, and I think we all, you know, agree that that's not the case. Um, I think um, in terms of advocacy, one of the things that I've learned since being part of the um, WLI is the differences in how corporate America works in terms of advocating for yourself and how it works in an academic setting. And I didn't realize for many of the women who are professors that a lot of their ability to be promoted or get tenure um, is based on Mm self-evaluations that we're so bad at sometimes and also on having kind of a mentor or or somebody who's shepherding you through um, the process. So um, the things that I would like to emphasize and try to emphasize in my own life are being that for other people people, um, and remembering to have confidence myself, not do sort of the little put-downs we do, or um, not assuming that 20 years of competence in business um, is not enough. So, you know, I have to remind myself too, but um, it definitely uh, is a story that I feel like is a more positive story at this point for women in business, but it, it, still, it still needs to be um, talked about and focused on, but I do think it's improving somewhat.
0: Yeah, these stories we tell ourselves, you know. They, they they tend to sort of wear grooves. Mm-hmm. They over do. A time.
1: They really do. Yeah.
0: So Chris, you've been on the faculty here many years and when you came in, what was it? Two women in a faculty of 17 or something like that?
3: Yes. Yes, and I replaced a woman faculty. So there, the environment and psychology you could imagine actually is more informed. So in psychology as a field, we've been talking about gender issues. When I was an undergraduate, we were looking at resumes and looking at the studies that talk about if the gender's on a resume, we judge them differently. Sure. I I saw that as an undergraduate in psychology. Psychology has been doing this for a long time. It did not mean that psychology still didn't have gender problems. Of course. And so even I I came in 1992, and in 1992, there were only two women faculty here at the University of Montana in psychology. And the department actually committed from then on to bring on more women and faculty, and that's all that happened, I would say, year after year. And how did that
0: play out with hiring and and, and so forth?
3: Um, I would say, well, there are certain ways that it plays out because we have accrediting bodies who ask us to do diversity plans. So I think there's kind of outside forces saying you need to do this, sure. which is not a bad thing. Yeah. But I also think it's about the people, and the people in psychology really were committed to doing this. And it, it included we shut down a search at one time when our final pool had no women in. Hmm. The, everybody voted Men did not want to go on with the search when the final pool did not have women in it. So I think that's a commitment. I think that's Absolutely.
0: a Absolutely. And you mentioned the accrediting body, mm-hmm. maybe um, sort of giving some cover for decisions like that. Glenda, it makes me think about your role as a board member, a part of the governance structure of Clearwater. Uh, you sit in an interesting spot in that you can... Um, maybe advocate for some issues that would be more difficult to advocate for from within?
1: A hundred percent. It's um, it's a really freeing kind of spot. Um, you know, we're always mindful that there's a staff that has to carry out, you know, all of our strategies and thoughts and wishes, um, but it's been a really great experience. And we recently just brought Kelly Webster on um, as a board member. Right. There are just seven of us, and it flipped the board for the first time to female majority. So okay. we are 51% uh, female, um, and you know. W- but philosophically, um, everybody is committed on that board to uh, working on equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion. It's a, it's a very progressive organization. Um, but some of the stuff that we try to do is remove the need for um, people of color, Women, folks who may be at a disadvantage in the workplace, to have to advocate for themselves. So We try to create transparency, and we publish and post all of all of our salaries. Um, Everybody understands what everybody else is paid, so you don't have to come to me and say it's come to my attention that I'm being paid far less than somebody. Also, gives us the opportunity um, to fix that on behalf of other people. Um, You know, we have we're working on an equity and inclusion plan, um, and so we're working to stay in front of some of these things. CEO's bonus is partially contingent upon uh, diversity goals and um and in the workplace, so we're very, very committed to this. Um, Our CEO took a pledge to never be paid more than 10 times uh, the lowest paid employee. I think um, the current average of most CEOs is over 300 times um, the lowest paid employee, so we really do try uh, to be very mindful um, of doing the right things at our level uh, and then have that sort of permeate throughout the organization. How
0: does that resonate with you, Denise, having spent so much time at a large corporation, Oracle? I mean, some of these experiences have to be parallel to some of yours and some maybe maybe contradict as well because you worked for a you know publicly traded company with a different set of uh, shareholders and stakeholders.
2: What's well, very encouraging, and I'm very proud of Clearwater for doing that, uh, I think at Oracle there is, of course, large public company statement of, you know, Gender, race, uh, sexual orientation—you um, know—and then more recently, veteran um, success. But again, it, you know, you're turning a big ship, yeah. Um, and in hiring, and um, but if you you know you pay attention to that, I think systemically, we always have to look at you know oh we don't have why why did we end up with the pool of all men where we want to have women? Are we recruiting correctly? Are we are we stating the, the real role correctly? Um, but I think it's, it's encouraging. Yeah. And when you, you get firms that really don't have to do everything you're doing <laughs> legally, that's encouraging as well.
0: Yeah. And something you mentioned there, um, Glenda, that, that made me – well, sort of motivated this question. So, you know, when a, when a board or a department switches from majority men to majority women mm-hmm. – um n- not only might that sort of change the whatever the attitude of the board but it might change some of the dynamics of how the board actually works mm-hmm. can you has that changed at all within your board or have you or, or in your department Chris have you noticed uh, just how meetings operate the norms of communication leadership etc
3: I would say definitely although again I don't I think psychology is more informed, but I think implicit bias shows mm-hmm. us that we're just not all conscious. Yeah. Right? And it's not just gender, it's race, et cetera. Um, so I think there were plenty of things that were going on that just change when you have more representation. So, you know, we have also worked for diversity in more ways than gender. And I, you know, just as the research shows, I think it's refreshing. I think there's a broad base of ideas and opportunity and possibility that happens with change. I think communication changes. So I I couldn't pinpoint exactly how changes happen, but it feels very different than when I started. Okay. Glenda, do you have a a thought on that?
1: You know, it's a relatively new change, and I think it's really a credit to the credit union and what Jack and the team has built over time. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a high-functioning board, and it's a very progressive, innovative group that I walked into. So I, I feel like we've maybe sort of expanded on that. But I will say it's like a pleasure to go to meetings. It's a pleasure to go to working groups. It's an intelligent Professional civil dialogue of intelligent people. Um, I will say it stands out from min- most of my other professional experiences. And whether that or not, that's because of the female majority or just very thoughtful placement of all board members and the executive team. I imagine it sort of goes beyond the board. Um, you know, I said this. I say this before, but the fish rots from the head. Um, yeah, and so yeah, well put. Yeah, and senior leadership on down, everybody in that organization is just really committed and aligned, and n- no one's being, f- you know, forced at gunpoint to do the right thing. Like, it's, it's just really... It, it's in the it's, DNA. It, it's in our DNA. Yeah. yeah. And now and now the board is just cohesive.
0: Yeah, and better outcomes.
1: Oh, I, I think much, much better outcomes, better financial outcomes, and mm-hmm. of course, you know, sort of every study will say that, that a diverse organization is a better organization. Um, and the, you know, there's there's lots of diversity. I think Chris really hit on it, like her department of functions because there's great diversity, sort of, beyond probably gender, which is a big piece of it, but um, our overall diversity in terms of background and uh, vocation and what people are looking at is really different. So so you sort of get everybody kind of, you know, we're all fundamentally aligned on values and where we're going, Um, but then we each have a little different emphasis or specialty. It's, um, it's, It's a good example of how an organization that is diverse Um, Can function and deliver results.
0: Yeah, it makes it happen.
1: It does make it. It totally makes it happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Mike Morelli, Director of the Entertainment Management Program at the University of Montana, and you are listening to A New Angle. So Denise, you've, you know, after after a long career at Oracle, what, like 25 years mm-hmm, or something? So mm-hmm. now you are coaching. Yes. Right? So let's yes. talk about that. I mean, because yeah. that, in many ways, kind of embodies some of the same principles of the WLI, trying right. to impart the message to a, a, a younger generation.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I uh, retired from my high-tech life a couple months ago and took some time to think about what I wanted to do. Uh, My husband was retired, and we are healthy and, you know, involved. And so I came back to the part of my work as a vice president in a larger company, managing managers and teams of people that I always really enjoyed, the career coaching, career development. I love the work I do with WLI and some other groups I work with. Um, almost everybody that's ever reported to me still calls me <laughs> and for coaching, yeah. and I'll always continue to do that. So I'm imagining creating uh, uh, Denise Grills Coaching and Consulting, and working toward I like that. that branding. You like it's very it? Very clear. Is it? Yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you're about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Up. I'm trying you. I'm trying it out on you right now. So. Uh, which is an important part, right, to get feedback. So I'm starting that. But to be, uh, you know, a, a, my own business that I could do for 20 years. Sure. Um, and and work with groups. So obviously I always will, you know, work with the University of Montana, and I have a little bit more flexibility now.
0: Yeah. And so what's, what's, what's a typical kind of client that comes to you seeking advice, and, and what's your sort of niche coaching-wise?
2: It's – I'm – I'm interested in emerging leaders. Um, anyone you know who wants to make a change, or they feel like they want to make a change. Mm-hmm. I just by going out to my network and telling people I'm doing it. I just this week had three people. Oh, you should talk to them, and you know, and um, they can be you know laid off from a job, but they don't want to just do the same thing again. Um, I'm. I could stay with my job, but I just turned 50. That's a big age for – that might be my target. Sure. People turning Mm. 50.
0: Coach yourself. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) And um, so, you know, gee, I've been doing this and I'm good at it, but I don't know if this is what I want to keep doing. Um, And then probably not on a fee basis, but I I really enjoy working with younger people who are getting out of school. I spoke yesterday with a friend's son, and he's, you know – very math I don't even when he's major and he's like but I don't think I want to do that I think I want to work in entrepreneurial firms Okay, right and so I'm introducing you know so introducing him to people in my network people I know from U of M just to talk with him Um, so that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at now, but I'm, I'm open to suggestions. I'm sort of shaping that right now.
0: Do you, I mean, do any of you see differences? I mean, this notion of coaching and mentorship, and, you know, it's a two-way street. You know, sometimes it's somebody in a more senior position saying, hey, you know, you could use some mentorship. You should mm-hmm. use some coaching. I'll take you under my wing. Or there's somebody in a more junior situation reaching out and saying I could really use some help Uh, I'm feeling the need for a coach Mm -hmm. need for a change have you observed any differences Um, I don't want to necessarily restrict it to gender based differences but are women more reticent to reach out for mentorship or or do you think that women are actually more uh, inclined to do that
3: I was involved in the NSF advance grant that Mm -hmm. we had on campus it was uh, we called it the PACE grant, and it had a mentorship component to it. And it was about advancing women and minorities in science. And when was this grant? Oh, boy. It, um, it was in, I would say, 2000, maybe three to nine. Okay, okay. Okay. Um, It was wonderful for us. We did a lot of really good things, and actually, the Faculty Development Office was something that came out of it. Really? Okay, wonderful. Yes. And as did our partner accommodation policy and the modified duties for people during, uh, faculty during uh, pregnancy and family leave. Okay. So we we accomplished a lot. So important structures and policies. Yes. Yes, wonderful. But in our, our mentoring, we did a lot of research on what what works, what doesn't work, what's going to help women. And women actually really appreciate and welcome mentoring. The difficulty, especially at that time, was that few people offered it. Mm-hmm. Remember, there weren't that many women. Yeah. In especially sciences and on campus, you think psychology was was something with... Two of 17, we had science programs with zero women. So there was a lot of work to be done. What What we know is that natural mentors work best, so people that you automatically connect with, maybe within your department, outside your department, outside the university, somebody who really is more senior who can help you navigate. They're not always there. It's not always possible. So in the recommendations of that program and what we did is we did assign mentors. And that was really good for everybody. So at a minimum, assign them. If there's natural mentors, great. But sure. if there aren't, assigning a mentor is good for both people. Yeah, and sometimes we, it
0: needs to be made explicit. Like, this yes. is part of your job to do this, yes. make time.
3: We, after that, as a psychology department, we assign mentors to men and women, yeah. junior faculty. It doesn't matter; everybody gets a mentor, yeah. a senior faculty, because it there's so much to know, mm-hmm. and you can't possibly figure it all out or know it all. And it's really a relief to have somebody walking with you through it. Yeah, Glenn, any thoughts on the coaching piece?
0: I, mean, I know you advise. A Lot of folks, and, and you know, you've invested in your own development and education, um, at various stages in your life. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's really fun. just listening to Denise talk about how much pleasure you know she gets from doing it, and how many of the folks that have worked for her uh, in the past continue to come back because obviously, what you're adding uh, to their lives and to that dialogue um, is a help. Um, I do think that. Everybody, at some point in their career, needs somebody assigned. I think that organic mentoring is is great, and I think once you sort of get comfortable in that role, um, you can get there. But I know personally that had I not been placed um, in an executive leadership development program when I was at FedEx and assigned mentors who were EVP and SVP and the CEO, um, I, my career and my development would not have progressed nearly so quickly. There are a lot of, you know, smart hardworking, deserving people in a large, you know, field leadership or organization like Mm -hmm. that. I think there were 30,000 employees and fortunately I got into this program and I got assigned the right mentors and they really worked with me and it's something that we talked about um, last time, but I feel like in particular having a female mentor who said be yourself and these are skills that you have that other people don't have and these are important skills, right. so do not change how you communicate. Do not change how you dress. Do not change who you are fundamentally. You can't. You know, that's uh, that's not a great place to be. Um, and just to be really confident in who you are because it's good. Um, so I was really fortunate in who, not just that I had a mentor, but who she was and yeah. how she messaged me. And the way she messaged me is how she messaged other people who were making hiring decisions. It wasn't like Glenda would be great if. It was Glenda is great because... And I try to do that, you know, for other people as well.
0: Yeah, and it gives you license to be. Oh, it totally does. Yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. mean this, I, I can imagine the moment that the sort of. Just must have brought such ease. Oh, it to- to your it absolutely
1: life. does. And it's not to say there aren't things that I can and should change and work on because that I absolutely can improve in a million different ways. Yeah. But that wasn't the predominant narrative. Um, it wasn't sort of this sort of like let's look at the three things that you could do better. Right. Like we're, we are going to look at those, but we're going to focus on this other stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this cohort in this year's WLI you know what are it's a unique cohort in that with clearwater coming into the team uh, are there one or two clear two clearwater employees
1: Calling employees
0: or they got some co-workers. fancy coworkers. It's okay. fancy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, it's not that fancy. You do Better than well, coworkers. We could get we could get fancier. Yeah,
0: I don't know what. Like, yeah, something something very woke. comrades. Comrades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> your
1: jacket is a little you is know, it
0: comrade? Yeah, a well, little. this is a podcast, so it, yeah. people can't see the jacket. Oh,
1: I apologize. Uh, Justin is wearing uh, it. It is camouflage, but it has sort of a, a military kind of Cuban cut.
0: Cuban okay. cut. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's my uh, Bernie Sanders attire. Okay. Anyway, let's not go there. Okay. So we're talking about this year's cohort. So we've got two Clearwater uh, coworkers yeah. and a bunch of awesome women from the UM community. You know, what are some things you're excited about with the attributes of this particular cohort?
3: So one of the things, having been with both cohorts, the the women are always amazing. Yeah. And uh, this time with the two women from Clearwater being part of the group, it, it, I feel like it's really good for everybody because we're not just talking about UM problems or UM-focused sure. issues. Yeah, it's t- got to add a richness to, oh, the, to the dynamic. Oh, it's really nice. And it, it's there are times where we might veer toward um focus because it's 10 and 2, but it never stays there. And I think the uh, presentation that we did, was it last week or the week before, the workplace equity event, Mm -hmm. is a great example of what can happen when you're just talking about this issue of workplace equity. It applies across the board. It's not a UM solely issue. And I just thought it was rich how deep everybody chose to go by looking for women's and women and anybody's stories about workplace inequities, and then presenting them to the group and having discussions about them, that came from everybody's heart and soul and experience. Some of those stories around the room in that event were women from the cohort. We also asked for people from the community to. Uh, contribute stories. And then those stories that were selected, the seven that were selected to be read, some were stories from women in the cohort, some were not. But they, I think it just represents the powerful approach that is really desired this time. People are looking for action. They're looking for change. They don't want to just talk about it. And it's not just about them. Right And not the last cohort either, the last cohort worked on the big problems happening at u UM. m mm-hmm. so it wasn't that it was all about them. it's just that this time it's not just about u m this time it's about the issue of work of workplace equity, which is a huge problem in our culture
0: so let's talk about um you know, I just remember that event you're talking about, Chris, and it was a powerful event and some of the conversations that I think were antecedents to that event were, yes, you know, some some men in this community wanting to sort of figure out, like, can, can we help in any way with this? Because I, I feel like there are times where men don't know how to engage around this stuff. Like, I want to be part of the solution, but I don't know how. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be canceled. Whatever it is, right? And That, that might be a little too pithy, but... What advice might you have for for men who want to get involved?
1: Oh, I think there's um, a lot of ways that men can be involved. And first of all, I think just sort of as a as a group, recognizing that um, as many men, you know, want things to operate equitably as those children did in the video before that um, equity event started. You know, as women do. So I do believe. Well, I guess first and foremost, I would like to just say that I I think we have a lot of allies and that I don't think it breaks entirely along gender lines Mm -hmm. that women want to operate a certain way and men don't. But I do think that when there are men um, operating, whether it's implicit bias or outright bias, and it's in a meeting or it's in a hiring situation, I think it can't just be women who come forward and say something. So I think what men can do in those situations is be have their eyes open, and if you notice it, you know, say something, and, and don't leave it just for the women to fix. I, mean, um, I think about that, yeah.
0: and not, not to cut you off there, Glenda, but I think about that in meetings. I'll be in a meeting where, you know, the men will just sort of talk, whereas, you know, and the women will raise their hands and sort of wait to be acknowledged by the leader of the meeting. And observing this, I think, well, okay, if I were leading the meeting, maybe I'd be more, I've been more explicit about calling on people. But as an observer, like, should I speak up and say, hey, you just talked over your female colleague or that feels right on some levels, but on the other level, it feels problematic in that it's like taking a man to come to the rescue of this woman in distress.
1: I totally agree. I totally agree. I think it has to be kind of a, a group effort. So I think, you know, we we don't need rescued, but we also, you know, don't want to be abandoned in those yeah. Um And it, it it really is, I think, a minority of people who are doing it. And I think if the majority of people pipe up and say something, I would like to imagine it'll change. Um, Just recently, it was interesting when I walked into the Women's Equity event, and then it was uh – a manel, an all-male panel, um, up there. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is going on here?" Because mm. I'd just been at a Missoula Chamber event where there was a non-ironic manel um, about the economic state of. Did Missoula. you just call it a manel? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Their their websites. Uh, you, you could be a um devoted to, <laughs> to making I have been a manelist. A man-elist. <laughs> but I walked in and I was sitting at a table with some, you know. Bazoolians, whose names you might know. One of them is a county commissioner. And I, we all looked up at the same time. And it was just a wall of the same man in the same suit. And we were just like, it is 2020. Like, that is so unacceptable. Um, and and the, the whole table was just like, eye rolling they were just like everybody was outraged the whole table men, women, everybody. Yep. And then, you know, the next week I got a message from that commissioner saying, Glenda, why don't you come in? It'd be really fun to connect. I want to see what you're doing. And then I left that meeting and somebody called me from the county and they said that commissioner would like you to be on a steering committee for health um, healthcare. Would you be interested in doing that? Mm-hmm. I said, Well I'd be absolutely interested in doing that. But it was great because it, it was the whole it wasn't just me being like I am outraged. Everybody was just like, that is ridiculous. Yeah, it's and then he people. did something about it. He yeah. he there was a a female at the table who he wanted to talk to about, you know, business and making things better in our county and thought I might have something to say and then he utilize my skills, which have nothing to do with healthcare, but it'll be fun to be on the steering committee, and hopefully we can do something good. But I think that's how you make it work. You you include people. You notice when something isn't right, and you you do something differently.
0: Well, much like Clearwater, you recognize that you get better outcomes if you have a more diverse group of people Mm -hmm. making decisions. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I was impressed.
0: Yeah, Yeah, please do.
3: So one of the things that I didn't say about that workplace equity event was that we didn't really want male allies, and that was the whole point. And the stories that were women's stories were read by men, yourself included. Mm-hmm. And the power in that alone, I think it was the most quiet group of 170 people I've ever been around. It's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really powerful. And the idea was that a lot of people don't listen to women telling their stories. If men told those stories, not only would they listen, but they probably would notice it didn't make sense. Yeah. So it magnified what was going on. I thought it worked well. There was a lot of anxiety about whether it would work well, but I think it worked well.
0: I I certainly felt a lot of... um, you know I speak in public often, and I don't like think it's totally easy, but I was pretty nervous, even though I had a script to read, but just the intensity of the moment and you know whatever for whatever reason I had to go last but yeah it was it was uh it was a pretty powerful event mm-hmm. um okay, let's bring this uh ship into harbor here <laughs> um Denise, put you on the spot a little bit. I mean, you are now. You've gone through a lot of of life change in the last uh, couple of months. Um, how do you think uh, something like WLI lives on at a place like University of Montana? And, and, and what are you interested in doing to help with that?
2: Ideally, we'll get to a place where we don't need separate leadership groups, mm-hmm. and we don't need separate. Programs for veterans, or um, you know, sexual equality, or anything, you know. But I think as we move forward, it would be a great victory to get there. That being said, when I was a student on this campus in the seventies, uh, since that time, there are more women than men in higher education. Yeah. But they're still, you know, forty years later not at the high level or at the high level of corporations or um, boards. So I think we just keep working working toward that. And at one point, we don't need, you know, we if we didn't need WLI, that would be great. And we just worked on, you know, leadership across the board.
0: And let's put ourselves out of business. <laughs> let's put ourselves yeah, out. Exactly. Yeah, great.
2: Let's put ourselves out of
1: business there.
0: I like it. Um, Glenda, how will you stay involved?
1: Well, um, oh, I'm hoping um, that the credit union funds this um, year after year after year, and that we're invited to participate um, in some of the events if we have as we have been this year. Um, I think long term. Um, I've met people in the community and the um, through this initiative that hopefully will be lasting um, connections. Um, and then I think, you know, ultimately, you know, Kelly's on the board and I think we're going to try to do more things with the university. And, um, you know, looking forward to seeing all the good things that happen um, out of the initiative.
0: Awesome. Chris, any closing thoughts from you?
1: I I would say that we've really been
3: fortunate to have people identify this as a need and support it, and I'm hoping that people continue to see that we are still at a place that we need it. I think there's a potential to expand it, but I also know that because of this effort, the campus is picking up more on leadership education needs, both in the new- Uh, staff and faculty training uh, programs, and with undergraduate students, Mm -hmm. with leadership programs. I think we need good leaders, and we need them across the board. So I think recognition of that is happening, and we are one result of that.
0: Indeed. And speaking of good leaders, I think we have three wonderful ones in this room, and I thank you all for um, the great work you're doing to advance this initiative but also just for coming in here and sharing the story with our with our listeners thanks very much and enjoy power camp
1: thank yes, you yes
3: thanks
0: all right hope you learned as much from that as i did check out umt.edu/womens-leadership-initiative to learn more maybe even apply for next year's cohort yourself Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, our awesome interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson, Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO for the tunes, and finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.